Well, church, I'm so excited to be with you back again uh, this Sunday, our week two of our revival series. And if we haven't had the privilege of meeting, my name is Bryce Holman, and I am the middle school coordinator here at the church. I've been in that role since about January of this year, and I've loved every moment of it and every student that I have come into contact with thus far. So like I said, I'm excited to be with you. As Pastor Jeff said, I go to CIU, Columbia International University right now, and I'm about to, uh, just started actually my senior year uh, there of, of undergrad. And uh, so I'm about to graduate there hopefully in May, and then uh, start Asbury Seminary uh, fall of 2020. I just got accepted into there last week, and uh, I was super, super excited when I saw that, still am. And uh, Jeff is a graduate of, uh, graduate of Asbury, as well as uh, Trevor is currently there, and so I'm excited to join that team. Well, as I said, we're, we're in week two of Revival, and last week I was in the contemporary room to hear Pastor Jeff kick us off, and he did an absolutely incredible job. And uh, from what I heard, my good friend Dr. Bill Jones, who was in here with you all last week, did uh, just as good of a job. And uh, I, I'm, I'm excited to hear him preach uh, this upcoming uh, week after myself in the contemporary room, and he'll be sharing the same thing that he shared with you all. And Dr. Jones and I are good friends. He is the former president and current chancellor of CIU, where I attend. And so I've, I've heard him speak on numerous occasions, uh, very similar messages as he gave last week to you all. And there's something about him that every time he goes on stage, before he even opens his mouth, I just know, just know that God has something to say, that God's going to do something, that the Holy Spirit is going to move in somebody's heart. And so my hope and my prayer is that is exactly what happened last week in this room. So this week, as Jeff mentioned earlier today, last week he, he mentioned that revival is not an event, but rather it's an environment. Revival is not an event, it's an environment. And so this week, my hope is to expound upon that a little more, and uh, we're, we're going to dive deeper into this whole idea, really, of rhythms of revival. But before we do, I want to share something with you that Pastor Jeff actually texted myself and Trevor, who is over preaching in the contemporary room. Uh, he, he texted both of us yesterday morning, and it was this one verse, uh, it's Psalm 119, verse 160, and it says, all your words are true, all your righteous laws are eternal. And then Jeff sent us this little graphic that's not on the screen, but I'll read it to you. It just simply says, believe his truth over everything else. Believe his truth over everything else. Now, I'm, I'm only 21 years old, and I haven't been on this earth a very long time, but what I have realized is that this world will try to get us to believe certain things. This world will, will try to convince us that certain things will, uh, will bring us permanent and eternal fulfillment. And what we end up doing is believing those things, and what those things end up doing to us is distracting us from the one true God. And the one true God's words in this book, the Bible, is the only truth that I believe we can find. And this morning, as we unpack some of this truth, my hope and my prayer for everyone in this room, including myself, is that we would recognize that the truth is God's word, and what God says will be eternal. And that anything else that this world could offer us, which we'll read about here in a moment, is temporary. So as we jump in this morning, I have to admit this word revival, it really, really excites me. It, it, it really does. And to give you an example of what I mean, last spring in February, we did a student ministry series just entitled Revival. And this was the first time that I spoke at our programming uh, on, on a Wednesday night to middle schoolers. And I remember grabbing the microphone backstage, walking out on stage, and I, I, I just awkwardly stood there right in the middle of the stage and just repeated this word over and over again. Revival. 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 
And then about 20, 30 seconds later, I started with my message. I introduced myself. That's the first thing I did. And in the moment afterwards, on, on the ride home that night, I was kind of beating myself up a little bit because that, that wasn't the, the start I had hoped on having. I didn't plan to do that, but I just came out and I was just like, revival, revival, just over and over and over again. And I think that the reason, looking back on that, the reason why this word means so much to me, why it excites me in that kind of way whenever I hear it, is because I've believed for a long time, I did then and I do now, that revival is on the brink of happening here, in this church, in this community of Lexington, even in this world. And as Jeff mentioned earlier, we can look around pretty much any time, we, we, we can flip on WIS anytime we want of the day, any day. And we can see that revival is needed. We can see that this, this great awakening that needs to take place is needed not tomorrow, but now, here today. And this word revival, this idea, has so much encompassed within it. And as we mentioned a moment ago, it's not just an event, but rather it's an environment. And what I believe is that if, if, if we today, here today, if we can create an environment for God to move, he will do just that. And I feel like God's been ready for revival in this community for a while, a long time. And all the while, he's been waiting on the right environment. He's been waiting on the boldness factor in some of our hearts to put ourselves out of our comfort zone, to put any other distraction aside and pursue revival, pursue God, pursue a rhythm of revival more rigorously than anything this world could offer us. And this week, in, in preparation for the sermon, I came across this, this quote that I love by a guy named Leonard Ravenhill, and he was an English evangelist a few years back, and this is what he says, you never have to advertise a fire. Everyone comes running when there's a fire. Likewise, if your church is on fire, you won't have to advertise it, because the community will already know it. Now this got me thinking, what if we didn't just see revival as this event that happens, but this environment that we create? that when this environment is created for God to move, we won't have to put it on the news. We, we won't have to be people that just tell every single person we could, we could possibly see, hey, don't you see what I see? Because what I see is revival. No, no, no. What this quote is saying is that the community, the people on looking at this revival taking place, this environment that God's moving, people will just know it. People will see it. They won't have to be convinced amidst any lies. They will know that, that God is moving in a way that we have not seen yet. Now, in terms of an environment, an environment will either allow things to grow or it'll keep, keep things from growing. Now, immediately, I think of a greenhouse. Now, in a greenhouse, there are certain plants that need a certain amount of water and sunlight, which that greenhouse provides them with. It, it, it is an, a controlled environment that they need to be stable. And if those plants were placed in a different environment, if they were taken outside that greenhouse and taken outside that environment that, that they are in, their growth would be halted. Another example could be marriage. Now, I'm not married, and I do not intend to spend the next 27 minutes preaching to you about marriage because of that. But what I do know about marriage, or maybe have some thoughts about marriage, is just by looking at the marriages that I see closely. And what I see from the start in a marriage, on the wedding day, for instance, is there are two people... And when two people get married, they have to foster a certain environment for their relationship to grow how they want it to. Otherwise, it just won't. Even in friendships, the friendships, the, the, the deep friendships I've uh, participated in, I've seen very clearly that there has to be a fostering of that environment or else there will be no growth, especially not healthy growth. And in both of these scenarios, 
Just like our series title mentions, there seems to be this rhythm to create this healthy environment. A rhythm of revival, which we're going to talk about today, is a rhythm nonetheless. But also what we're going to mention here in a few moments is that we can have a rhythm that is both healthy or unhealthy. And I believe very clearly that Paul lays that out for us, which we're going to get to in just a moment. So today, I want to talk to you for just a few moments about how to be in step with the rhythm of revival. That's the title of my message, In Step with the Rhythm of Revival. And to do this, there's only one scripture passage that that I want you to turn with me to. It's in Galatians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you have your Bible apps on your phone, please join me in turning to Galatians chapter 5. It's in the New Testament. We're going to be in verses 16 through 25. And in this letter, Paul is writing to the churches and the people in the churches in Galatia at the time. And starting in verse 16, here is what Paul has to say. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you're not to just do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So let's pause here. Paul seems to tell us exactly how to get in step with God right here at the very beginning of what he says. He says, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Get in step with the Spirit. But now he's about to get a little more specific for us. So starting in verse 19, he says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul does not say to close this part of his writing, those who live like this may not inherit the kingdom of God. There's a chance. No, no, no. He he says, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So I don't know about you, but while reading that list, when, when I go back through that list of terms that we just read that are an unhealthy pattern in our life, I feel kind of convicted. Because maybe I'm the only person in the room that struggled with any of those. Or maybe there's someone else in here who could say, yes, Bryce, I too, when I see myself living out of step from God, when I see myself living in in an unhealthy kind of way, these things are present in my life. So Paul is not just speaking to people who he polled ahead of time to say, do you struggle with this? Do you struggle with this? Do you struggle with this? No, no, no. He's speaking generally to not just the people in this book of Galatians, not just the people in Galatia, not just the people in these churches, but what if he's also speaking to the people at Mount Horeb United Methodist Church in Lexington, South Carolina in 2019? And to me, I'm, I'm feeling kind of convicted knowing that, that, that certain uh, of, of those terms are, are present in my life when I see myself going down an unhealthy road. So Paul seems to be saying, all right, now that I've told you how to walk out of step from God, out of step from revival, here is how you walk in step with him. He lays it out very clearly for us. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, I want to pause right there for a moment before we go any further. I don't know about you, but in preparation for this message, I recognized 
how glad I am and how overjoyed I am for the occurrences of that little word that starts off verse 22, but in the Bible. I'm so, so thankful that God decides to include that word in so many occasions throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. The, the, the flesh desires all these different things, but the fruit of the Spirit. In this world, you will face trouble, but I've overcome the world, says Jesus. It's not for you to know the times and the dates that, that the Father has set on his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, what Jesus says in Acts 1.8. I'm so happy that God doesn't just tell me how not to live or only about the trouble I'll face in this world, or only that I can't know the times and the dates he's set. Because God is a God of mercy. God's a God of grace. God's a God of love. And so he's loving enough to tell us how to walk out of step from him, but he's also gracious enough to tell us exactly how to walk in step with him. So Paul lists out the, the fruit of the Spirit, how to walk in step with God. He says love, joy, Peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things as these, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And here's the key verse, verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now this phrase in step, or in some translations, walk by, is the original Greek word stoichio, which means to properly walk in line in strict accordance to a particular pace or stride. You see, there seems to be this idea of discipline involved regarding how we walk in step with God. Discipline has to be present. That if we want to create an environment of revival around us, we have to be willing to do whatever it takes to walk in accordance to how God desires now, it would be one thing to, walk in, to try to walk in accordance with how God desires if he didn't tell us, if he didn't lay it out, if he didn't so clearly say, hey, here's how you do this. But on multiple occasions in Scripture, not just this one, that's exactly what he does. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, here's how I need you to live if you intend to glorify me, if you intend to be in stride with me, in step with me, if you intend to see revival happen in your community. This is how I intend for you to live. God is laying it out for us very, very clearly here. Now the truth is, there's going to be a lot of rhythm in your life whether you're producing the fleshly desires or the fruit of the Spirit. Because the dictionary definition of a rhythm is a repeated pattern. So what that means is that if, if I'm glorifying the fleshly desires, if that's what my life looks like, the first list that Paul lists for us still going to be a rhythm, still going to be a pattern. And likewise, if I'm living with the fruit of the Spirit, if I'm glorifying God with th things like love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, if that's how I'm living, there's still going to be a rhythm. One is going to look a little more unhealthy. One's going to be walking away from God, while the other is a healthy one growing you to walk towards God. But here's where the difference really is. If you have a rhythm of fleshly desires then your life is going to be chaos. You'll always be chasing after something that will grant you temporary fulfillment. And, while you, and, and you will always, always, always feel empty after that fulfillment is gone, after that fulfillment dies off. 
And from there, you'll, you'll, you'll find yourself chasing after more and more empty things, more and more emptiness. And the pattern's going to continue over and over and over and repeat itself over and over and over again. Trust me, I've been there. But if you have a rhythm of revival, a rhythm involving the fruit of the Spirit, then you'll find order. You see, I believe that God, both in the beginning, right here, right now, and all the way till, till the end of time, I believe God is a God of order. He's always been, he currently is, and he always will be. If you look at Genesis, when he created everything, he created it with order. But then comes along sin in Genesis 3 and kind of screws it all up. And we see in the lives of Adam and Eve and every life after that, except for Jesus Christ himself, what chaos looks like. What walking outside of God's boundaries looks like. What walking away from God will get you. You see, when we decide to invite rhythm into our lives, it calls us to be someone and to do something. And regardless of which path we choose to live by and which list of Paul's we choose to glorify, it is going to mold us into someone and therefore going to produce certain things in our hearts and out of our lives. And what I believe for every person in this room and every person not in this room, every person that God has created himself, God has stitched together himself, what I believe is true is that God's desire is for everyone to experience life. Everyone to experience life. In John 10.10, Jesus says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come so that they may have life, so that you may have life. But not just life, life abundantly. There's a lot of things in this world that will offer you life for 80, 90 to 100 years. But there's only one person who can offer you life eternally. There's only one person who came to die to show you that love and to show you that there's only one way to eternal life. That's through Jesus Christ himself, the very man who just said what we just read. So this morning, what I want to do is lay out four dif different rhythms for life. For everyone in this room, four dif different rhythms for life. And the first is worship. I believe that something special happens when God's people, like us here today, come together, just like we're doing right now. I believe that where two or three are gathered, there Jesus is with us. And because of that, I believe even this morning something special is happening. I believe that even this morning we have created an environment for God to move, both through song, studying of God's Word, the preaching of God's Word, the fellowship among believers. And if you're anything like me, it's, it's really easy to only do that on Sunday morning, Wednesday night. Even me going to a Bible college, it is very, very easy for me to go to Bible classes all day long and not have personal time with God not have any worshiping time, worshiping my Father, whether through reading His Word, singing about Him, even listening to worship songs on my car radio. And what's going to end up happening, maybe some of you can relate, is that eventually we're going to find a pattern. There will still be a rhythm, but it's going to be a rhythm that, that looks like Sunday morning, I'm all in for God. Monday through Saturday, I don't really care about this Jesus guy. And subconsciously, that's how it's going to look. That's how it's going to look to God. That's how it's going to look to us. That's how it's going to look to the ones around us looking at our lives. And so I believe what God truly desires is for us to experience abundant life. But one of the ways to get there 
is to be willing to put all else aside, put all distractions, all struggles, all sins, all failures, every time we fell short, put it all aside and recognize how, when, and most importantly, why we worship our one true God, the Savior who saved us so that we could be sitting here talking right now. That's what I believe God desires. That's the first rhythm for life I believe he wants us to hear, recognize, and take action on. And a challenge to everyone in this room, including myself, is to not just attend worship, but attach to it. Don't just attend, but attach. If we're attending worship, we're going to come in here every Sunday morning, sing, and then leave, and where are we going for lunch? Monday through Saturday goes by, and we're back at it. But if we're attaching to worship, it's going to transform the way we live every single moment of every single day. It's going to transform every step we take, and, mat- and what we'll begin to see is our steps will no longer be out of step from God. But they'll begin to be steps in the right direction, not just the right direction, but the most righteous direction. They'll be steps towards God, not away from Him, and that's what I believe He desires. The second rhythm for life is to grow. First worship and then grow. Now, throughout my short time working here at the church, I've tried my best to always keep a posture of learning. Because what I've discovered so far is I have so much to learn from every single person on staff here that's been doing this a lot longer than I have. Not just the Pastor Jeffs, the Pastor Trevors, but also the facilities crew. The ones in the business department, the accounting department, the ones especially on the youth staff with me. I have so much to learn from people who have been at this longer than I have, that are more experienced. And if I'm I'm humbly able to accept learning curves, that's when true growth is going to take place in my life. And I believe it's the same for our walk with Christ. Because no one in this room is Jesus Christ and therefore perfect, there's always going to be some way that we can be transformed to look more like him. There's always going to be some way that, that we can grow to look more like the image of Jesus Christ, the, the image that was painted for us so clearly when he was here on this earth that we can read about anytime we want. I believe that God desires we not stay where we are. I don't think God desires to, to, for you to stay where you are because he wants to take you somewhere so much further. He wants to take you somewhere where maybe you can't even see yet. He wants to open a door that he hasn't opened yet, but what he's waiting on is the right environment to do that. I believe he, he wants to open doors in this community for people's hearts to come back where they belong to God, but he's been waiting on people with the boldness to get out of their comfort zone to help open those doors, to be his hands and his feet, to be his mouth in those people's lives. The fruit of the Spirit that Paul lists for us in Galatians is God telling us exactly what needs to be present in our lives for us to experience this growth and ultimately the abundant life he wants to offer us. But there still has to be this personal decision day in and day out to choose to live by these things. The world is going to try to convince you day in and day out that the things in the first list, the fleshly desires, are what will satisfy. I've seen it almost every single day of my life. There are temptations that that we will face, frankly, every day, and we have a choice every time we face them, to either choose to live into that temptation or to choose to pick the better solution that is giving us a way out. Our third rhythm for life is to serve, to serve. Jesus says in Scripture that he didn't come to be served, but instead he came to serve those around him. He gives us so many clear examples on numerous occasions in Scripture of what this looks like. For me, the clearest one is is in the Gospel of John. When he and his disciples are meeting together, he's told them on multiple occasions at this point, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be crucified, but don't worry, I'm going to rise again. 
And his disciples are, are somewhat confused on what this is going to look like. And what he does is the unthinkable. He gets down on two knees and he starts washing all their feet. And if I'm in that room with Jesus, I am very confused. Jesus, you should be where I am. You should be sitting in this chair and I'm washing your feet. You're the king of the world. And every disciple in that room that was getting their feet washed had to be thinking a similar thing. Jesus, the, the roles should be reversed. But what Jesus does is, is incredible. And, and what, what I believe he really wants out of this picture that he paints is to show us exactly how we should serve others, exactly how we should live for that matter. That if I can leave this earth painting one picture in your head amidst all the things I have already said to the 5,000s, the 4,000s, the many, many people who have, who have heard me preach, if there's one thing I can paint in your, your head as a picture of how you are to live, it's this. It's getting down on your knees and serving those around you even when they don't ask for it. Even when they don't ask you to serve them in a particular way, you are going above and beyond to show them how much you care and how much God cares about them and being Jesus' hands and feet. At CIU this past week, we, we had convocation on Thursday. And this is kind of a, a kickoff chapel for us where the president usually goes up and, and gives a message, vision casting for the students, faculty, and staff for the year. And what our president did, I, I, I will not soon forget this, is once he was finished speaking, he, he gave a whole message on serving. Out of all topics he could have chosen, that's the one he chose. He gave a 45-minute message on it, and then he took off his robe, took off his jacket, took off his microphone, took off his glasses, took off his shoes, rolled his sleeves up, got down on two knees, and started washing one of our faculty members' feet. And what I believe he was demonstrating in that moment was, I may be the head of this university, but there is someone bigger that I need you to know about. And that even though you, you view me as the president, you view me as the one on the throne of this university, I'm here to serve you. Because my Savior did the exact same thing for me and is willing to every step going forward. I believe Jesus' goal while he was here on this earth to, was to show us how to live, and I believe he did that very clearly through that demonstration of washing his disciples' feet. And if you're anything like me, though, often pride will slip in from time to time and make you feel like someone else has an obligation to serve you. I've been there. We tend to create these pictures in our heads and, and even in our hearts of us on our own throne. And people have an obligation to, to come serve us, to come do things for us. But if God's truly on the heart of your throne, or on, on, on the throne of your heart, if God's in that place, not you, then your initial response, your immediate response in pretty much any given situation will be, how can I serve someone else? Because that's what God has done for me. And I believe that's what he wants to do for everyone. And the key is that he's using us to do it. We can be God's hands and feet and a light to this world. And that's how I believe revival is going to come upon us. We can create this environment every Sunday morning, but if, if, if we are not creating environments where we are going Monday through Saturday that are similar and serving those around us, finding true growth, worshiping that one true God, even in the workplace, even at our homes, with our families, our friends, then the Sunday morning is only going to go so far. And finally, our fourth rhythm for life is to share, to share so there's four ways that we've talked about worship, grow, serve, share. We have a graphic to my right and to my left to show you 
And what was interesting last service when I saw this for the first time was it doesn't stop after share. Worship, grow, serve, share, repeat. God could easily have said, hey, I need you to worship me. I'm going to empower you to grow. I'm going to show you how to serve, and then I need you to share. But once you've shared once or twice, you're good. You're done. And I'll move on to the next person. But there seems to be this constant cycle that's happening. Worship him, grow in him, serve because of him, and share about him. Repeat. And once again, this just can't be our Sunday morning routine. I believe that this right here has to be embedded within every word we speak, within every thought we have, within every action we portray to the ones around us. Worship, grow, serve, share. We can be walking and talking testimonies of what God can do with someone who was once broken but now mended and made whole. You know, besides Jesus himself, my biggest role model in life has been a guy by the name of Billy Graham. You may have heard of him before. A lot of people tend to know who he is. And Billy Graham told millions of people about Jesus Christ during his lifetime. He, it, it was estimated that he preached in 185 countries. He was on television. He was on news shows. Everybody wanted to know what he was talking about because he's, people would look at his, his, uh, his speaking engagements and they would see thousands of people walking away changed. They wanted so desperately to know what was so special about what was coming out of his mouth. But there were two things that really stood out to me about Dr. Graham when I analyzed his life more in depth. The first was the way that he lived his life. Whenever people hear that name, Billy Graham, what often comes to their mind is what he said and how he spoke. But what I saw very clearly from the research I did and going to the Billy Graham Library in North Carolina, what I see very clearly is that people could see Jesus working inside of him before he ever opened his mouth to talk about him. People could see that God was doing something in his life, and therefore, when it was time to listen, that's exactly what they did. I believe that that was the order that it went in, not the other way around. He wasn't just God's spokesperson. He was someone who really embodied the fruit of the Spirit. He, he embodied what it meant to be in a rhythm of revival, and therefore, that's exactly what we saw come out of his ministry. One of my all-time favorite quotes is by a guy named St. Francis You've probably heard this before. He said, preach the gospel at all times. Use words only when necessary. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words only when necessary. So essentially what, what St. Francis is saying is oftentimes when, whenever we think, I've been guilty of this, whenever we think of preaching the gospel, we think I have to have a microphone. Oftentimes I, I've been very convicted of that myself. I'll, I'll, I'll speak to students week in and week out. I'll come up here and, and, and preach from the main services even. And it'll be so easy for me to share Jesus. It's something I'm so passionate about. But Monday through Saturday, when, when I'm just going about my routines, it's almost like I'm asking myself, where's my microphone? Where's my big crowd? And when I look at the life of Jesus, I don't quite think Jesus was too worried about how many people showed up. I also don't think that he was too worried about whether the sound system was right. I think what Jesus was worried about was regardless of who is in front of me, I know what they need is what I can give them. And that's exactly what he did. So this is something that's, that's convicted me as well, but it's something I see so clearly in the life of Dr. Billy Graham, that if you look at the way he interacted with people off the podiums, it was so clear that God was doing something in his life and God was sharing Jesus Christ with people before he ever opened his mouth to talk about him. 
And the second thing that I noticed about Dr. Graham is that he always gave an invitation for anyone and everyone who needed to receive Christ, be made new in that moment, to do it right then and right there, to not wait another moment. He was a master at getting people's attention in that kind of way, getting people's attention off of the things they walked in here with and getting their attention on the one true God that loves them. And so this morning, I want to give us all the opportunity to do the exact same thing. I, Bryce Holdman, have no idea where you personally stand with God right now. I have no idea what you walked in here carrying. I have no idea about the last time you opened your Bible, the last time you prayed sincerely to God. I have no idea. That's between you and Him. But what I do know to be true is if I'm reading this book right, the God of the universe is madly in love with every person in this room and every person not in this room. And he loved us so much, he still does love us so much, that he was willing to send his perfect son, his only son, to this earth that was full of chaos, that was full of corrupt lifestyle all around him and say, I need you to live a perfect life. He did. I need you to live a sinless life. He did. And then he did the unthinkable. He asked him the unthinkable, okay, now that you are getting towards the end of your ministry, you've lived a perfect life, you've lived a sinless life, I need you to get on a cross just like that one. And even though you may not fully understand, I need you to do it. I need you to be obedient because I am using you for a higher purpose. I am using you to save thousands, millions, maybe even billions of people that otherwise would be separated from me for all eternity. I spoke at worship night a few weeks ago on a Friday night, and it was just a short 15-minute message. And the one scripture that I used was the one that changed, reshaped the way I thought about God entirely. And it's in Matthew 27. In Matthew 27, Jesus is hanging on the cross. And right before he breathes his last, right before he dies, he cries, he looks up to heaven and he cries out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, I thought you said you were going to send me here and I was going to do something great, but look where it got me. Why have you forsaken me? And so Jesus dies, he breathes his last without an answer from the Father. And the next thing that happens is there's this curtain, this gigantic curtain on the temple in Jerusalem. And it tears right down the middle in two. It falls off completely. And oftentimes when I read this part of scripture, I read right over this. I didn't care about this. I was like, I'm ready to get to the resurrection. I know how this story ends. I want to celebrate. But I went back before worship night when I spoke a few weeks ago. And I, I, I looked a little deeper again. And I was reminded how God used this passage to reshape me. Because this one verse, the, the, the temple curtain was torn in two, it signifies something. It metaphorically signifies sin. Because behind this curtain, people believed were the, was the holy of holies, which was the earthly dwelling place of God's presence. And the only people who could go back there were the chief priests, the ones who people looked at and said, they have it all together. They don't have any sin in their life. They don't have any struggles. They're closest with God, and they could only go back once or twice a year. So for thousands, maybe even millions of people looking at this curtain, there was mystery. I wonder what it feels like to be where God is. I wonder what it feels like to be in God's presence. And the first thing that God does when his son is sacrificed on the cross, the first thing that happens when he breathes his last is God sends us an invitation. God sends us an invitation. This separation of sin is no more. It's gone. And you 
and your burdens and your, your weariness and your struggles and your current sins and your future sins, they can all come with you. Because that's how much I want to be where you are and I want you to be where I am. That's the first thing that God does as soon as his son is sacrificed, is he sends us an invitation to come into where he is. God's love went as far as his son dying on a cross to show us where his love was for us and invite us into his presence. And maybe today you're here and you're saying, Bryce, that's all great. I've heard it before. Maybe I, I just heard it for the first time. That's great. But you have no idea where I've been. You have no idea how far away from God I've gone. You have no idea about, about the sin in my life, the struggles in my life. Maybe for the person next to me, that's great, and they can accept that and live with God forever and ever, but for me, there's no way he would still want me. There's no way. And I'm here to tell you this morning, what I need you to hear this morning, above anything else that I have said all morning long, is that God desires to give you a fresh start. God desires to give you a fresh start. God wants you to live in step with him, live this abundant life that he is willing, so willing to offer us and that only he can offer us. So if that's you today, I'm gonna to give two invitations. The first is if that's you, if you know there's a void in your heart, you, you feel like God's been knocking on your heart for a long time now and you're just now beginning to recognize it and really accept it as truth. If that's you, I need you to boldly stand up and just come forward right now. Don't wait a mo another moment if you need Jesus Christ in your life. The second invitation I wanna give is for that person or maybe those people in this room who you, you would say, Bryce, I know Jesus, but I also know that my life looks more like the first list that Paul says, that Paul tells us. I'm walking this road, th th this rhythm of fleshly desires. I'm giving in to the temptations thrown my way, and I can't figure out a way to shake myself free from it. And right here in this moment, I need you to recognize God wants to take that from you. God's wanted to take that from you before it even showed itself up in your life. And it's been breaking his heart to, to see you struggling with it and trying to shake yourself free from it on your own. There's a line in a, in a contemporary song that's popular right now by Hillsong United. And the line goes, I was found before I was lost. And what that line shows me is that I know where my home is. My home is where God is in heaven. And amidst all the sin that I've faced, that made me feel like I've just been lost forever and then I just kind of stumbled upon Jesus one day? What that line is telling me and what this book, the Bible, is telling me is that God was there from the start before I ever came on the scene. And he's my creator. And I'm looking forward to the day where I can stand face to face with my creator and be with him side by side. But for the time being, God has given us a way for that to happen through the Holy Spirit. He is inviting somebody in this room I don't know who it is, but he's inviting somebody, I truly believe that, into a personal relationship with him. Maybe a personal rededication of that relationship that you've walked away from with him for so, so long now. And I'm here to tell you that God so desperately, desperately wants you back. So what, what we're gonna do is move into this final closing song. And while we sing this song, I, I would ask that we prayerfully consider, myself included, where we stand with God right now, what in our life needs to get out of the way so that this rhythm, this healthier rhythm of revival, so that this environment of revival can be sparked in our own hearts, and so that we may go out 
and allow God to do the same for others. If you feel the need to come forward, we have people that would love to pray with you, including myself. Or if you'd like to make your pew an altar at this time, that is perfectly okay as well. But I want us all to just spend some time in reflection about what we need to experience revival as we move into this closing song. Would you come?